Hi, everyone, and welcome to SACSA's new podcast, To Practice, a practitioner skill building process for the field from two folks who don't know it all, but have and will continue to think a lot about it. Hi, everybody. My name is Miles Surratt. I am happy to be one of your hosts for To Practice. I am an Associate Vice President at James Madison University here in Virginia. And I am proud to be Miles's co-host. My name is Kate Radford, and I serve as Director of Leadership Education and Development at Clemson University. And just to catch you up a little bit in case you've missed first, our first couple episodes here, um, Miles and I used to work together at Clemson. We worked in an office that had a lot, about half um, of our staff as graduate students. And through the years, we've reflected a lot on the training that we provide to our amazing grad students um, and the training they receive in the classroom, but also the responsibility that we bear as hosts for the practical experience for the students um, and the role that we play in developing those practical skills that they need to be successful. So this podcast is born of that realization. Um, We've spent a lot of time together thinking about the practical skills that are necessary to thrive in student affairs. And this podcast is meant to share those reflections to continue to hone our own skills as practitioners and offer a chance for us to intentionally sit down together and stay in conversation. We're gonna do that through a grouping of seasons. We are in the midst here of talking about supervision um, and we will um, continue that series here today. So thanks for being with us. So Kate, I appreciate that introduction. What a wonderful summary. What I'm also looking for a summary of um, because I'm not a member of this very exclusive society can you tell me about what is happening this week in your neighborhood Half Mile Lakes Facebook group? Yes, I can. Well, it is a beautiful spring day. Um, Miles knows this because uh, we talked about it, but I'm actually working remotely today and um, sitting in the beautiful Half Mile Lake community looking out my window. Um, and I think it's important that it's turning spring because that has really changed the tenor in the Half Mile Lake Facebook group. So Um, we've moved a lot from, you know, I think people being trapped in their homes and being somewhat, um, I don't know, frustrated by winter to a lot of hopefulness for spring. So right now what's rolling around in the Facebook group, um, is a lot of aspiring vegetable gardeners. Um, I will count myself among them because I have been known to start a vegetable garden and to be very honest, not really see it through very well. Um, but there's a lot of folks in the neighborhood who, for whatever reason, have decided this is their year to garden. Um, so a lot of people asking for help on that, um, so much so that they have created kind of like a little subgroup of people, um, that are calling themselves the aspiring vegetable gardeners of half mile Lake. And, um, my next door neighbor who I love, um, she's wonderful, a wonderful woman that lives next door to us, who is fabulous to my family. Um, and as you heard on the last podcast also has a dog named Sammy. Um, apparently she's like going to be a teacher for all of these aspiring vegetable gardeners, which she has a great garden. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, but I guess a call on the Facebook went out at some point about like who can help us and miss Pauline stepped up. So Pauline's going to be teaching a class. I hope she does it in her own yard because it would be very convenient for me. Um, so I'll keep you updated on my garden. If you have any suggestions of things I should plant, I'd love to hear them. Um, and then the other thing that's going on, I think it'll probably ramp up a little here in the coming weeks and I'll be sure to keep everyone updated. 
but just a lot of people who I would say are aspiring wildlife experts as well. So a lot of questions about animals people are seeing in their yards. There used to be like a legit wildlife expert in our neighborhood who like anytime anything happened, it was like, it's not funny. Cause usually it was like a sad thing. Like I have a bunny that's been like separated from its family in my yard. And people would like put out like the Batman, like call for this woman to show up and how they're like, Wendy, where's Wendy? Get Wendy. Um, but she doesn't live here anymore. I found out. And so people are, um, I think trying to find a replacement in terms of being the wildlife expert for the neighborhood. So that's what's going on right now. Gosh, there's a lot to unpack there. So basically we need to put up a classifieds ad in the half mile lace, uh, half mile lake Facebook. That was difficult to say. Um, although not that difficult, but for me, it wasn't that moment. Um, we need to put up a classified ad basically for like, uh, if you're saying it's like the bat signal, maybe it's like a bunny person, you know, just like, mm-hmm. and, you know, seeking, you know, seeking Wendy replacement yeah. situation. I mean, it's, it's serious. I'm trying to think the things. So like birds, that's been like a common thing, like a bird falling out of its nest. Um, bunnies for sure. Um, some snakes, which, I have mixed feelings about my desire to like, you know, rehabilitate a snake, but I understand it is a creature and people want to protect it. So yeah, I don't know. Um, feels like there's a real void in the neighborhood is all I'm saying. Um, speaking of voids in the neighborhood, any updates on Beverly, the dog, I've gotten some questions offline. (laughs) Some offline questions. Thank you to our listeners for your concern about Beverly. Um, honestly, no which I think to be frank points out my initial assessment that Beverly, the dog was just fine. I think that she has a home. I think she wandered into half mile Lake on numerous occasions and people really took a liking to her, but I think she's okay. I have to believe that Beverly's okay. She's not been seen in the neighborhood to my knowledge. So I think she's back home somewhere just thriving probably, you know, yeah, I like the idea that it's like the Zabruder film in in Half Mile Lake. Everybody's piecing together their various ring camera footages, trying to, you know, scope out where Beverly came from, background, how she's doing, any recent spottings, you know. I mean, you say that that's legitimately what it was like. Um, also, ring doorbells are going to have to be a conversation for another day. But whew, I don't know that they were good for society. Mm. I'm just going to leave it at that. Or good for neighborhoods generally. Yeah, let's put a let's put a pin in that. I'm looking forward to coming back to that on a on another time. Sure. Um, to transition to our next piece here, uh, I wanted to share our uh, our student affairs shout out for this episode. As a reminder to anyone, if you'd like to share a, a shout out, please email me at s u r r e t md at jmu as in james madison university.edu as in the uh, part of email addresses that indicate that we work for educational institution um in case anybody was struggling to follow that and uh share your shout out with me um in keeping with our shared commitment to social justice in our work we'd ask that you'd make a donation uh, to an agency working on a more justice uh, society and kate and i We'll make a donation as well for each shout out. This week, I'm going to offer the shout out. Um, so my friend Ann Graham just left George Washington University, where we used to be colleagues after 13 years of service. 
And Anne started in that office that we worked in together over eight years ago. And over the course of her tenure, continued to step into more responsibility. And in making those moves, just kept caring more for people. And she left that role as a beloved mentor for a lot of folks. She was a real asset to GW, uh, which was a place where we both grew up a ton, but is an even better person or friend. So just wanted to share that about Anne and celebrate her as she leaves GW. I love that. I got the opportunity to meet Anne via you and um, she seemed really fabulous. So congrats to her and all the good work at GW. So let's jump in. What do you think to our topic? You feel good about that? Yes, I'm ready. You're ready? Okay. Yes. If you're ready, let's do it. Um, so just a quick overview, we've, as we mentioned, been working um, through some essential components of the supervision process. Um, and today we are going to focus in on the performance review process. So um, Miles, let's chat for a second. What do you think is the key mindset shift as a supervisor for the performance review process? Well, I think oftentimes we have a tendency to see documents that are issued by uh, the human resources department at our university as a form of compliance. Like, I just think there's something about the way that they look. Oftentimes you can't edit the PDFs or maybe that's just me. Um, and I think it just like, flips to this sort of thing, it makes, you know, it makes it feel like it's something that you have to do. Um, you know, and that's on us. I'm not, that's no, uh, that's no, uh, you know, sort of pointed statement about the nature of HR work on college campuses, which is very important. Um, so, but it's not compliance. It's structurally and developmentally important for employees. And I think that that is the key shift is that you have to recognize no matter how you feel about this as a supervisor, that it's not about compliance. And you have to think about it that way. You have to approach it that way. So the my, to me, the main mind sh mindset shift is from compliance to importance. And I think it feels like a diversion from the work itself, but like onboarding and many other parts of supervision, it's really a magnification of the work. Like a, a or performance review is a really key time to sit down and to spend time with the folks that you have the opportunity to work with and to engage in a mutual process of sharing about how this, how, what's good about, what's good about how things are going to focus on that, to really honor that, and then to think about areas for growth as well. And so, you know, structurally, I mentioned that it's structurally and developmentally important. I think structurally, it's really critical to remember that sometimes livelihoods are attached to these things. Like you can't lose sight of that and things like, you know, uh, cost of living increases, bonuses can be attached to these things. Personnel action can be associated with these things. So like these things, you know, matter and we need to honor that reality developmentally for most employees, whether it's attached to, you know, whether job action for better or worse is going to be associated with something. Even if it's not, for most employees, it still really matters. There's a lot of anxiety around the process for folks. And people justifiably look to this as a form of evaluation of the work. You know, we have a sort of critique that we do about, you know, people seeking too much feedback and too much affirmation. But like literally, this is what that is. 
This is like structurally built in to do that. There's nothing that is like superfluous about this. Um, and it's, it is an opportunity for learning and mutual growth and that, and that's very real as well. So. Yeah. Thank you for those thoughts. I think, um, something I thought about sort of in preparation of this conversation is, um, that I think it's just sometimes, and you spoke to this, so we get a little too hung up on the like process or the detail pieces of this, like, right. Like that we make it about human resources, like as a entity, not like about developing human resources, but about like literally our HR office, um, or like, as you said, compliance. And I think for me, it's, it's reframing that it's not about HR. It's about, I mean, it is in some ways, but it's about the relationship more than anything. And I feel like we keep coming back to that in our conversations about, um, just like letting relationship with people and belief in people and care about people remain the, the core of this work of supervision. Um, and I think that that doesn't need to sort of fade away when we're talking about performance review, right. That that should still be centered in this conversation. So I appreciate your thoughts on that mouse. Well, thank you, Kate. Can you tell me what are your thoughts about the key, the key sort of mindset shift for how we think about performance reviews? Yeah, I think kind of two things come to mind for me. The first um, is to shift this from feeling like a summative sort of process um, to being a formative process, right? That this isn't like the end all be all. The performance review sometimes feels so high stakes because it is for a lot of people, unfortunately, the one time they're talking about some of this stuff. So it's like, it's like, let's sit down and talk about the whole sum of your experience in this year, all the things that you have done. Um, and it just, it feels so high stakes because of that. And so I think a, a key shift for me is to think about the official, the HR process, right? The, like the thing you have to put on paper as just one of many opportunities to provide feedback throughout the year. Um, and that it becomes, you know, like that, that there is something that is developing throughout the year that then maybe gets documented at this time. Um, but that nothing really should be a surprise that it's, um, that you are considering performance review, um, formally and informally throughout the whole year and that it's a formative process. Um, I think the other thing that maybe is a mind chef, mine, um, set shift is to think about that this should not really be very one-sided, right? That this is an opportunity for us to give feedback. And that's obviously at the core, um, what it was set up to do, but I think it's also, um, a real opportunity for us to discuss job satisfaction. Um, and so in that way, it becomes more of a dialogue between people of here's, um, here's what I've seen of what you're doing and doing well, or, um, here's my assessment of your work over the year, but let's also talk about what you see. And also it's a, it's a really intentional, you know, if you have a yearly process, a yearly opportunity to check in on like, where are you? How are you doing? How satisfied are you? Um, where, you know, not only do you need to grow, but also where, um, where might you be headed and how can I help you to get there a little bit? Yeah, I think that that's, I mean, it gets to, you know, a couple of things that we've harped on multiple times. One is that this is really, this is really a relational process and, but it's also reciprocal and, you know, the, the performance review process, you know, your university may not incorporate super like a supervisee 
feedback into that process, which <clears throat> I think most places don't. Um, some some may, um, and it may may not incorporate that in the process, and so you don't necessarily have to. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't incorporate that as as a part of the conversation, as a you know, as a way for folks to provide their thoughts, not only about their growth um, over the course of the year, which I think is a really critical part, but also, um, you know, what steps can be taken to, to um, better support that. So yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, so Kate, how would you, in doing that, so, so we've taken this mindset shift, we now believe that this is important, we're establishing that, we're saying that, like no matter what else is going on, this is a really critical, um, critical part of the process. Um, so how do you ensure that you honor that when you're engaging in the performance review? Yeah. Um, so I think like kind of one of my core sort of thoughts around this is that sometimes the like HR process of this really sets us up for a low bar. Like it makes the process seem very transactional. Um, I think sometimes it can really feel like the process is only um, set up to serve the interests of the institution. And so I think for me, it's like actively working against that. Um, and so I think, you know, in terms of honoring the importance beyond that transactional piece um, and actually making it um, something to honor, um, I think one thing that's really important is, you know, really setting up that, um, setting it up for success from the beginning. So. You know, I know at Clemson, we have what we call planning stages. I'm sure most institutions have some sort of variation of that, right? But being intentional about setting up um, what folks will be evaluated on. So like really, again, thinking about this as a full process. Um, I think sometimes the, the go-to is like, well, I just write out your functions of your job and then we like move on from it. But actually building time into thinking about that planning stage. Um I think I mentioned this already, but like the continuous feedback piece, right? So reviewing more than one time a semester, um, so or one time a year, excuse me. Um, I think like making it a standing item on an agenda is important. I think one thing that we often overlook that I, um, you know, I think about a lot in terms of like my interaction with students, but I think sometimes I lose sight of it with staff is is like asking how people want to receive feedback, right? Like I think there's things you have to do as like the formal process, um, but there's also things that you can do, right? So like maybe it is, maybe you have someone who's a real internal processor and they need some time to like look over your thoughts before they hear them. So can you do that for people? Can you, um, you know, can you structure the, the process in a way that it really can um, benefit people and their needs? Yeah, I think um, I think it is really critical as you're thinking about people and their needs and sort of how to think through that. Um, that some of this gets down to, and I and I've been guilty of this in the past, but I think it's sort of a common thing. But it it speaks to the sort of prioritization of this is that you do need to understand the timeline that's established by the university and to then structurally like way ahead of time, put time on your calendar in order to be able to do all of that. You know, none of what we're talking about is quick. None of it, like, you know, none of it uh, is going to require nothing of you. And so you need to make sure that if this is a priority item and if you want it to be 
reciprocal and meaningful, then you have to put time into it. And a good way to do that is to understand what the process looks like. And then you honor that time, you know, no matter what else may be happening, you need to stay firm on, you know, this is a critical part of how we magnify the work that's happening on campus. And so we need, I need to hold this time. This cannot be sort of a random project time that you can just sort of let go of. Um, and then I think the other part about that is that at least every place that I've worked has university determined review criteria that says these are the, these are the ways in which we're evaluating people here at the university. And I think it's really important to know that information and to remember it and to think about it throughout the year as you're evaluating folks. So it's not a one time reflective process, but it's a continuous reflective process where you understand that these are the components the university says that we need to be evaluating folks on. There may be some stuff that's job specific that you can focus on, but there's probably something in there that is, you know, related to, you know, broader university goals and, and uh, vision, you know, whatever that may be. And I think it's important to keep that in mind and then you can be engaging in that conversation. So. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the time piece is, is so important. I feel like that has been a common thread in all of these um, conversations that we've had, right? Like supervision takes time. And it, I think you have said and a number of times, like, but it's worth it. Um, but you still have to make it, you still have to make that time, make it a priority. Um, you know, I think for me, uh, the performance review process is another opportunity to show your employees that you're paying attention, right? We've talked about that, um, previously too, that like, um, that's important for people to, to, to feel seen and heard and to know that people are paying attention to what they're doing. Um, and I think that we do that in the performance review process by um, like really contextualizing the feedback that we're providing people. So we're like being factual because um, I think the factual stuff matters, right? Like if it's too general and too like, you're doing great, that's not super helpful. Um, I think for specific examples, um, both for areas of strength and also areas of improvement are really important. Um, but I think one thing I would caution to not get sort of like lost in is that I think sometimes when we say like evidence-based and being factual, we think it has to be like the really big things. And I think sometimes it's important to like notice the small details um, and to work those in to the performance review as well. Like again, to, to really highlight the, the multitude of ways that people are making a difference on your campus um, and the multitude of ways that you're like seeing them in that work. Um, I think too, it's worth noting <laughs> the importance of, um, like the performance review should, should be critical to a point, right? I think I have had supervisors in the past, um, where it felt like they were just jumping through the hoops of the performance review because everything was like, yeah, everything's good. This is good. And this is good. And this is good. Everything's great. Um, and the reality is like, as an employee, I knew that I wasn't great at everything. Like I knew, I knew there was stuff I needed to grow on. Had they asked me that I would have been very easily able to tell them the places that I knew I needed growth. Um, and it was, you know, at times it was sort of like upsetting that they didn't see that, like, I didn't feel like they were paying attention enough to even notice those things and to be able to work through them with me. So I think, um, putting it out to the world that, uh, an all excellent review can sometimes be a red flag sometimes means we're not paying enough attention or we don't care enough to like really dig into the details and have a, a meaningful and sometimes difficult conversation. Um, I think too, like if everything is great on your, you know, performance review, it probably means that you have not been encouraged to take enough risks, right? Like, I think there are times where, um, 
noting like this didn't go well, but you know, you tried, we tried to work through this. We tried a new program and it wasn't successful, but we'll try again. Right. Um, sort of thinking through to related back to like that growth mindset idea, right? Like that it didn't go well yet, but it still can, that there's still ways for us to continue working through um, a process or working through a program or working through a service that we're offering to make it better. Um, and acknowledging that in the performance review, I think is important too. Gosh, I think that risk-taking piece is such a good point. Like, I, I just think that it's a, um, sometimes when you're doing a performance review, if you're realizing that sort of everything feels good and just there, there is a real possibility that that means that not enough time and attention is being paid in this space. You know, like it feels like there, sometimes something is like, and sometimes something is like so good within a broader profile that it sort of lifts everything. And, and that good thing is probably the result of taking a risk and thinking about something in a, in a different way. But I also think that there's the ability to sort of stay on something and make tweaks, you know, year in and year out and incrementally make a, you know, make a change. But yeah, I mean, I think if there's that, if there is that sort of general kind of bland feeling of good that's being, that's happening in all directions and you haven't sort of showed the work of like these details pointing out and sort of building, building the case around the, the argument that you're making, whether it's growth or whether it's, you know, or whether it's praise, um, that there is something inherently perhaps missing in in what is going on you may need to do a pretty comprehensive reset if that's where everybody's landing in a process so i think that's such a good point i think too like some of that feedback that you get i mean the reality is as our portfolios grow and we're supervising more and more people like you you might not be seeing every little detail um but i think it's important that as a supervisor you're the one delivering that performance review um, and you are, you are sort of assessing the work of someone's entire, um, year, but you're not the only person that interacts with them and isn't impacted by their work and is seeing their work. And so, um, you know, I think again, back to thinking about what we talked about last week with like difficult conversations and sort of the, like the difficulty of gathering feedback of, of, you know, um, not, uh, oversharing or not including too many people in, you know, the, like the personnel decisions or uh, feedback of other people. But I do think that there's, there are ways to get feedback from other people about someone's performance. Um, Then you can help to articulate and, and put into a a formal process, like a performance review. Um, But I do think in some ways it's sort of odd sometimes when I think about it, that like, I interact with like lots of people every day, but yet it's just my supervisor who's giving me this, like this really formalized feedback um, and who's like, whose opinion and sort of perception uh, is what's documented at the university level. And so I think I'm finding ways to, to get feedback from other people that then again, you, I think have to put into your own words and um, take sort of the responsibility for delivering and articulating Um, but I do think getting that feedback can be helpful, right? So like, if you're supervising someone who supervises others, like, how are you including, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to think that you're going to assess someone's supervision when you're not being supervised by them, but someone else is. So how do you get that feedback in in order to, um, make a fair sort of assessment, um, and, and give them really 
um, detailed and again, specific and personal um, notes about what they are doing well and what they could do better. Yeah. Yeah. That all, I mean, I think that that's a really interesting concept about like, how do you, how do you incorporate feedback from other folks? I think that that's really interesting. Yeah. So Miles, um, would you suggest any ways to enhance the performance review process for employees, things you've done or things you've seen done well? Um, I think particularly for folks early in their tenure, I, I think it is helpful to have a structured check-in. Um, and I think that formalizing that as a mid-year evaluation can be really beneficial for folks. I think that um, in some ways, it's easier to incorporate reciprocal feedback in that process, um, too. I mean, you can structure and basically say, you know, these are the things that I'm attempting to do in supervision as it relates to your, you know, position description. Let's provide feedback and let's sit down and do that. And sometimes I think breaking down the structure of the uneditable PDF can sometimes uh, be pretty liberating for how people think about uh, how people think about the process. Um, I know sort of, you know, uh, blank word doc can also have its own, you know, level of anxiety inducing kind of feelings, but, um, you know, you can provide some, some prompts in order to fill in, uh, to fill in that document. But I think a mid-year evaluation is something that I would really recommend, particularly for people, you know, if somebody comes in and they don't get evaluated for a year, you know, I mean, somebody's tenure can be pretty set in terms of how they conceptualize the work and how they think about it. And you may have, you, you may have thought that, things had gone off base pretty early on. And hopefully you're talking about that on a regular basis, but I do think it's good to have some sort of process that is, you know, structured and formalized to be able to sit down and do that. So um, I would, I would recommend that. What about you? Yeah. Well, number one, I agree with that um, wholeheartedly. I mean, I think that the, the mid-year pieces is super, super important for new employees. I think the thing that, um, and for experienced employees to be very honest, but, um, I think maybe the thing I would add to that is, um, you talked about like the uneditable PDF, which we got to get you some Adobe sweet stuff over there, Miles, and help you make some edits. But, um, in all seriousness, I know sometimes you can't edit the formal process. Um, but I think that you can like add components, right? So like you can do the formal process and even at the yearly mark, even if it's like you're using the timeline of the university, um, you can add other things in, you have to do the thing the university requires, but what are, you know, there are other things you can, can supplement with. Um, and I think one of the things that's really helpful to supplement with is some sort of self-assessment component. Um, I think we model this, or at least we do, it comes in really well with the, with the grad supervision, like sort of approach, especially in like practicum and internship experiences. Um, you know, they're typically asked to do some sort of a self-assessment. I don't know that we always do that so well with professional staff. Um, and so I think embedding some sort of a self-assessment can be really helpful. I think it allows for the conversation um, to like really flow between two people. It doesn't feel so one-sided. Like I'm coming in with all of this perspective and all these like thought about how I'm going to assess you. Um, but sometimes people don't have like the language in real time to sort of respond and to think about um, like even what they're being um told or what's being shared with them about their performance. And so I think having someone complete some sort of self-assessment prior to that conversation helps you to like, just both be sort of in the same headspace about I'm thinking about my performance and you're thinking about my performance. Let's talk about it. And let's see like where, um, where there is overlap and where there is, um, you know, consistency and then where there's some incongruence, like maybe I'm seeing something that you're not, 
Um, and I think like providing space to have that conversation is really, really important too. So we always wanna wrap up these sessions. We've said that before with a resource to share. Um, for, I'm gonna go first if that's okay with you, Miles. For me, the resource sort of that I'm thinking about um, is, is related to something we haven't actually talked a lot about today. And that's um, sort of how do you use the performance review cycle to also be an opportunity for um, upward feedback, right? So that you as a supervisor are also getting feedback from employees. Um, you know, obviously if you're on a timeline at your university, you're probably getting feedback from your supervisor during this time. Um, so sometimes that can be, you know, helpful to hear sort of that 360 degree feedback piece. Um, but I think, you know, finding intentional ways, not just to ask like, okay, well here, or not saying like, here's what you're doing well, like anything I can do better or like any feedback you have for me, right? Like those open-ended questions I think are usually not met with much thoughtful uh, response, <laughs> but making it a little bit more structured, I think can help with that. So, um, you know, I'll argue that I don't know that in higher education, we are always the like exemplar for uh, the best HR practices or just like the most, um, thoughtful and developmental of, uh, sort of these, um, processes, but I think sometimes we can look outside of higher ed. Um, I know previously that I've mentioned the association for talent development, another, um, sort of, uh, resource or go-to that I might mention is the society for human resource management. Um, and I mentioned them specifically in this conversation, because I think that they have a number of templates that are helpful for sort of receiving that upward feedback. So again, you've got the bare minimum you've got to do in performance reviews, but what are things you can supplement with? And I think I already argued for sort of the self-assessment. I would also argue for some sort of way for the, the feedback to be reciprocal and for you to be requesting feedback of those that you supervise. Um, and I think sometimes having a template, as you mentioned, the blank Microsoft Word document sometimes is a bit uh, overwhelming. So starting with a template, I think can be helpful. Miles, how about for you? Do you think the Society for Human Resource Management, do you think that acronym is pronounced SHRM? That's the thing that I've always mm. wondered. I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I had a high school teacher named Mr. SHRM. It's really bringing back some memories. Anyway, keep going. Hmm. Do you think he would provide some good upward feedback? I don't. I don't think that that, no. Mm -mm. I don't know. You know, I shouldn't say that. He was a lovely, lovely teacher. I don't know. Hmm. Well, Mr. SHRM, if you're listening, and if you work at what may be Sherm, please also reach out. We're looking for upward feedback from Mr. Sherm. We're looking for feedback on the pronunciation of the Society for Human Resource Management from those at Sherm. Yes. Um, so uh, resource I'd recommend is uh, one I've talked about a ton of times, uh, not on this podcast, but I have talked about it in other spaces, which is Rosemary J. Perez's 2017 article, which is called Enhancing, Inhibiting, and Maintaining Voice in Examination of Student Affairs Graduate Students' Self-Authorship Journeys, as is, you know, the case with most scholarly publications, very light, breezy title there. Um, obviously, based on that, this is about graduate students specifically, um, and it's about one particular growth construct, which is self-authorship, but I think it's a really great structure for how we can all think about our growth and a way to plan ahead for those conversations. Um, she has identified several really critical points of uh, inflection for graduate students in their own self-authorship journeys that I think are really illuminating in terms of how we think about um, everybody's growth and development, particularly transition to 
to roll. So yeah, I would recommend it. Rosemary did for us. I believe was at Iowa State when uh, that was written and is now at the University of Michigan. So I would recommend that. that. Thanks. Write that one down. Write it down. It's a good one. Um, and also to wrap this up, thanks everybody for joining us for Tepraxis, which is presented by SACSA. You can get more information about SACSA, which is the Southern Association for College Student Affairs on Saxa's various social media outlets, which includes Facebook at uh, facebook.com backslash Saxa fan page, on Twitter at Saxa tweets, on Instagram, Saxagrams, and could not recommend highly enough, mention it every time, but please sign up for the Saxa alert, which is great information on the work of Saxa and its members. Also, Saxa's uh, call for programs is out for uh, the conference, which will be in Birmingham, Alabama this upcoming November. Kate, thanks for everything, and thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you. Bye, y'all.